Well, ladies and gentlemen, are you ready to get into God's Word? Are you excited about getting into God's Word? We delight in God's Word at the Neighborhood Church, and uh, I am delighted to be kicking off a new series, Habits to Live By. Habits to Live By. And I think we're going to uh, find this a very helpful and beneficial time uh, together. But before I get into that, a weekend of prayer and fasting in the neighborhood this weekend. Last night we gathered together uh, to worship, and those of you who were here, wow. Wow. That was such a special and holy time. And uh, I'm so encouraged with uh, what God uh, is doing in our hearts and the stirring in our hearts as we lingered in worship last night. So uh, bless you and uh, let's just anticipate God meeting us in a very special way as we continue uh, in this service this evening. Let's pray. Oh, Father. Father, I ask that you would come as we look at your word now, but I, I ask that uh, as we look at this whole series that it would just be really transformative in our lives, that you would do something deep in our souls. So come Holy Spirit and work. Come Holy Spirit and work. In Jesus' beautiful name, amen and amen. Habits to live by. We tried to figure out what to call this series as an executive team, and we're really trying to talk about spiritual disciplines to live by principles to live our faith by. But we thought maybe those words were a little overused, so we landed on habits. And I think habits is a good word. Habits to live by, practices to live by, disciplines that need to be in our lives. Dallas Willard uh, passed away in 2013. He wrote a great deal about uh, about spiritual disciplines. This is what uh, he would uh, say to us, Dallas Willard's quote, please. The activities constituting the disciplines have no value in themselves. The aim and substance of spiritual life is not fasting, prayer, hymn singing, frugal living, and so forth. Rather, it is the effective and full enjoyment of active love of God and humankind in all the daily rounds of normal existence where we are played, our place. So, so what he's saying here is, friends, the, the goal of these practices is not so you become a really good faster. Oh, I know how to fast. 
The goal of these habits is not so you can tell everybody uh, that you can sing uh, without a hymn book 300 hymns from such and such a hymn book. The goal of all of these practices or habits is to bring us into the full enjoyment of Jesus. The goal of all of these practices is to bring us into the full enjoyment of Jesus. John Ortberg uh, made this statement, if a discipline is not producing freedom in me, it's probably the wrong thing for me to be doing. I think that's important. If you've got habits and disciplines that you think are really making you spiritual and they have become bondages for you, oh, I gotta do this. Uh, that's not God's heart. That's not God's intention for you. These practices are to bring us into the freedom we're meant to have in Christ Jesus. So these habits, these practices, these disciplines bring us freedom. They bring us into a deeper delight of God. So... I knew I was leading this series off and trying to figure out what to preach on and you know you think you know sometimes and and then I started really digging deep getting direction from the Lord as the days got closer and Last week, I was really surprised what he told me to preach on because I had never really thought of it as a spiritual habit before. Um, but as I dug into scripture, I recognized this is really, really important. So here's habit one. You ready? Rest. Rest. Absolutely shocked tonight I'm talking to you about it. Absolutely shocked. And then I'm kind of at the point where you start polishing the sermon and you hope it falls together and you sort of make sense when you get up to talk. And yesterday I ran across, across this quote from John Smith in The Good and Beautiful God. The number one enemy of Christian spiritual formation today is exhaustion. The number one enemy of Christian spiritual formation today is exhaustion. We have to learn, we have to know how to rest. Now, this is not some big new insight. Rest matters. Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 28 Jesus said, come to me, all who are labor, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. rest. Does God want you to be exhausted? No. Thank you. God wants us to rest. Rest in him. Psalm 23, 1 and 2. 
Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me all hurried and harried and frustrated. Is that what it says back there? No. Oh, good. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside noisy, tumultuous waters. No, he, he, he brings us to this place of rest and lying down and stillness. It's God's, God's heart. Nothing new here. Genesis chapter 1. So this is first page of the book. Genesis chapter 1. Verse number 5. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And you're saying, well, what in the world has that got to do with anything? Well, let me take you a little further down the chapter, chapter, four, uh, chapter 1, verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years and let them, be, let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. How did God establish the world? He didn't have to do this. He didn't have to do this. But how did God establish the world? He established the world with rhythm. There's night and day. Night and day. There are seasons. Night and day and seasons and years. There's a rhythm. And this world that Adam and Eve landed in had rhythms established for us. We don't wake up in the morning and wonder, I wonder if this day is going to work. Wonder if the sun's going to remember to come up today. God has established these rhythms because he knows what is best for us. Rhythms, rhythms. So until a century and a bit ago, life was pretty simple. The history of our great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents, the history back to Adam and Eve, was one of really simple rhythms was dark and it was light. You worked during the light and then it got dark and what did you do? You rested. 
how the world operated <laughs> for almost 6,000 years. And then man got really good at figuring out how to bring light into the darkness. And when we brought light into the darkness, we lost our rhythms. And we've never lived in a society that is more exhausted than it is now. We're designed to be in rhythms that keep us rested. We're designed to live in rhythms that keep us rested. Kevin DeYoung uh, wrote this in his book, Crazy Busy. We don't have healthy routines. We can't keep our feasting and fasting apart. Evening and morning have lost their feel. Sunday has lost its significance. You terrible people coming to church on Saturday. What's wrong with you? Everything, everything is blurred together. The faucet is a constant drip. We've lost our, we've lost our rhythm. As a result of having lost our rhythms, we've lost our rest. And yet scripture says to us in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, friends, God's promise of rest for you still stands lest us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Friends, rest matters in God's heart for you. We need to be people who know how to rest. So this morning I'm on my bench. You hear about my bench too much, I'm sure. Stop talking about your bench, Pastor. But I was on my bench this morning and... Uh, I'm reading through Hebrews right now. Hebrews chapter 3 kind of jumped off the page for me. I haven't got to Hebrews chapter 4 yet. Today, if you hear his voice, verse number 8, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test. The children of Israel were not following God's will and God's ways in the wilderness. They wandered for 40 years. For 40 years they wandered. And God says, verse 10, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They've not known my ways. And I so this is God speaking now. And I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. What's the worst thing God could think to do to them as a result of their rebellion and their disobedience? I'll take away their rest. I'll take away their rest. It's not how God wants us living, friends. God wants us living in the fullness of rest. And it's rest that brings us to a place of physical health and uh, mental and emotional health and spiritual health. You can't have those things without taking rest seriously. 
psalmist wrote in Psalm 127 and verse number three, two, sorry, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. God's heart for us is to learn how to rest. So there is uh, three areas where we need to move into this rest, and the first of those areas is uh, physical rest. Physical rest. I appreciated uh, uh, Carol McFarlane and... uh, the ladies talking on video on Mother's Day weekend. I thought there were quite a few poignant moments in that video, but one of them was when Carol talked about one of their children writing a note at school. You know how school teachers do that. They give you pieces of paper to take home, and you're supposed to write things on them, and their son wrote, I wish... My dad and mom would stay home more. I wish my mom and dad would stay home more. We get so busy. We get so active that we miss God's best for us. Until the Industrial Revolution, life was a lot simpler. Do you know where you got your identity and you got your value from? You got your identity and you got your value from your, your relationships. We even tended to give ourselves names that reflected how much we uh, valued those relationships. We have last names like Johnson and Davidson and Israel. We got our value from, I'm Israel's son. I'm David's son. Was the time together relationally, uh, living in community that brought fulfillment. Life is good because I'm surrounded by people who love me and care for me. Then the Industrial Revolution comes and we figure out how to make darkness light. And we start working and working and working and working and working some more. Never been a workaholic culture like there is now. can't not have this thing on, somebody might need me. I'll talk about that later. Help me not to get sidetracked. We're, We're in this workaholic environment and it's hurting us physically. Secondly, we have to be healthy mentally and emotionally. Uh... And the world has lost a lot when it got consumed by success and measured success by uh, the accumulation of wealth and more stuff. Twenty sixteen seventeen. This is the most recent statistic I c- can find. Uh, 
but one in seven, one in seven Canadians used our health system for a mental illness. One in seven. From uh, the year 2000 to 2016, children, people under the age of 19 years of age, under the age of 19 years of age, increased their use of mental health services by an average of 2.6% per year. We get busier and busier and busier and we get out of the rhythms that God has designed us to live in. We don't experience the value of rest and we get really, really in difficult places both emotionally and mentally. Edward S. Higgins uh, said, this, said this. He is uh, a clinical associate professor of psychiatry and family medicine at the University of South Carolina. He said the 1990s and 2000s were glorious decades to be a psychiatrist seemed as though each year several new potentially life-changing medications were brought to market. Options became available to tackle long-standing treatment-resistant disorders. Did not hurt that Big Pharma had deep pockets to promote the new offerings. Stigmas were falling, more people were seeking help than ever before, and just about any psychiatrist could brag about patients who, with the right medication and a little time, returned looking more confident and reporting fewer symptoms. Today the shine has dimmed. The mental health of the nation may have been even declined in the past 20 years. This trend is what Thomas Insull, former director of the National Institute of Mental Health, calls one of the inconvenient truths of mental illness. What is Edward Hagen saying? We're handing out more drugs than we've ever handed out, and society's not getting healthier. Could it be we're missing something? Could it be we're missing something? Genesis 2, uh, 1 to 3. Genesis 2, uh, 1 to 3. No, stop. Let, let, okay, third, third area we need to be healthy in, spirit, in, in the realm of spiritual. Now let's go to Genesis 2, uh, 1 to 3. The heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested. <laughs> and he rested. God rested. Rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. It's a rhythm there. God worked, and after he'd worked, what did he do? 
stepped aside and he rested. The habit of rest. God models it for us right at the beginning of the Bible. Philippians 4 verse 7, just throwing some verses about spiritual health here. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God wants us to get to the place where we run to the peace of God, know how to live, know how to bask in the peace of God, and that peace, friends, will guard our hearts and guard our minds. So we've got to know how to get there. We've got to know how to get to the peace of God. And where's the peace of God? It's beside the still waters. It's lying down in green. I can't lie down. I got work to do. And somebody might phone me. And we wonder why we're wired all the time. We've got to learn to move into the peace of of God. John chapter 19, verse 30. You're saying these verses aren't connected, Pastor. You're driving me crazy. Well, I'll connect them in a minute. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head, gave up his spirit, and he died. What happened when Jesus finished his work? Did he start running around now to other employment agencies to see if he could find something new to do? Is that the story? What happened? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. Ephesians 1. That he worked in Christ. This is talking about the resurrection. When he raised him from the dead, when he raised him from the dead, what did he do? Okay, one day off, get going again. Quick, hurry, get something done around here. He had him sit down. <laughs> sit down, Jesus. Just sit down. Would you sit down, please? And what's Jesus doing right now? He's seated at the right hand in heavenly places. What has Jesus done for us? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're supposed to be sitting too. In the realm of spiritual things, hear me loudly, everybody. Hear me loudly. In the realm of spiritual things, friends, we need to start sitting down and recognize there's nothing more any of us need to do to become more Christian, more saved, better believers. Jesus done has done it all. It is finished. We need to just sit down. We just need to sit down and rest in the completed work of Christ. Oh, I'm not perfect yet. Yeah, but Jesus has made you perfect. So rest in that. Rest in that. We uh, need to build our lives on rest. And unless we get this 
have it down. We're going to think everything else that we're going to talk about uh, through to the end of June is a bunch more tasks for you to work at, friends. These aren't things we work at. Everything we're going to be talking about is things to bring you to rest. Resting in him. So here uh, is how I'm going to end. Remember, the number one enemy of Christian spiritual formation is exhaustion. So here are some suggestions for realigning our priorities and recalibrating our hearts. I've got 10, for, 10 of them. I'm going to try to talk really, really quickly. Try. Number one. Turn the lights off. Turn the lights off. Turn the TV off. Turn the laptop off. Turn the computer off. Turn the phone off. I know phoning me is a pain in the butt. Um, but the truth of the matter is I have silencer on 24 hours a day. And when I get home, I turn this off and I put it on a shelf Donna built when we redid our kitchen. And in the morning, I pick it up again and the silencer is on. I don't worry about this thing ringing. I check my messages. Turn the lights off, friends. Research, research shows that there are teenagers who, if mom and dad would walk down the hallway in the middle of the night, are on their phones at 2 and 3 in the morning. And we wonder why our kids are having problems. Turn the lights off. Number two. Make sure every day has a rhythm of rest and work. That's God's rhythm for us. Lights are on. Lights are off. Stop working. Working in the dark is dangerous. Establish a rhythm of rest and work. Don't be embarrassed about saying to your spouse, I'm not doing any more work. Work is done. Right, Don? <laughs> She's not going to talk. Work is, don't be afraid to say that it's done. Make sure every day has a rhythm of rest and work. Don't come home from work and start working for another five hours and then wondering why you're always exhausted. Three, make sure every week has a day of rest. Lord uh, spoke to me about this about eight months ago and said, John, you need to stop taking that day of rest and still have a bunch of things you need to get done. Stop making lists. The first thing I did was I stopped walking on my day of rest because it was something I felt like I had to do. Have a day when you don't have to do anything. Have a day of 
rest. Number four, celebrate the joy of completed work. Celebrate the joy of completed work. Let me take you back to Genesis here. Um, end of uh, chapter one. God had finished creating things, everything. And God saw, verse 31, everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. What did God do when he'd done his work? He, he celebrated it and said it was very good. Do you know what that Hebrew word good refers to? It was pleasant. He looked back at what he'd done and said, wow, that's neat, I got that done. It's beautiful. It's sweet. It's satisfying. What God didn't do was said, huh, well, I made uh, about 600 different species of lilac trees. I'm just not satisfied with that. I'm going to stay up. I'm going to ignore that day of rest, and I'm going to make another 9,400 species of, species of lilacs. And he would have been able to do it. At some point, you say, enough is enough. And you look and you say, wow, I got that done today. It's good. Tomorrow we'll bring some more. But right now, it's just good. I'm satisfied with what I got. It's good. It's wonderful. Don't always be adding something to your list every day. Celebrate what you got done and put your feet up. Six, five, whatever number. Take a nap. Number six, go for a walk. Seven, Turn on some worship music. The greatest gifts, one of the greatest gifts Don has brought to our home is this gentle Christian music in the background. Brings peace. What's God want to do? He wants to lead us beside still waters. Number eight, I think it's number eight, whatever the next one is. Rest in the completed work of Christ. Jesus has done everything that you need to be done to be in right relationship with Almighty Father God. Rest in that. Don't think I better do something to prove to God that I really love him. Rest in the completed work of Christ. Jesus has paid the entire price. The work is finished. Rest in that. Number nine, if I'm counting those fancy whatever those are in the front there. Always remember there's no condemnation in Christ. See, the enemy wants to come and say, you haven't done enough yet. The enemy wants to say, that stupid thing you did two years ago, 
you need to do double time for the next four years to make up, make it up. Throw that garbage somewhere, throw it away. Always remember there's no condemnation in Christ. Don't let the enemy get anything stirring up inside you that'll take away your rest and take away your peace. There is, friends, hear this, please. There is now, right now, right now, no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And lastly, Go to sleep as far left of midnight as possible. You see, we're meant to be in a rhythm of light and dark. In dark, we're meant to be resting. One of the greatest things the Lord's blessed our lives with in the last nine or 10 years is our winter journey to Mexico. One of the reasons it blesses us is it's pitch dark at 6.30 every night. The dark comes and the rest comes. Go to sleep as far left of midnight as possible. You see where the hand is at midnight? Next picture. Well, try to get left of that. Next picture. Or even better, a little more left. Yeah. <laughs> or you can get old like me and really get extreme. <laughs> get as far left at midnight as possible. <laughs> and some of you think I'm joking. <laughs> But it's a life changer, friends. We're meant to live in the rhythm of rest and work, rest and work, dark and light. We have to learn how to rest. We have to learn how to rest.